0: Good morning, my name is Chad. I am one of the pastors. I have the privilege of working with other pastors here, such as Todd, who keeps things light, and we thank him for that. Um, I welcome our guests. If after church you have any questions, please reach out to me. And thank you, veterans, for serving our country. We owe you all a debt. My grandfather was a veteran, Uh, He also was a a very gifted pilot, totally unrelated to the military, but he he loved to fly. In fact, some of my fondest memories with him are sitting in the cockpit with the oversized headset and the microphone uh, talking to him as we'd fly and just watching him as he navigated the plane through the air. Uh, My grandfather was passionate about flying and so, he would tell us stories. And as a, as a boy who, who loved my grandfather, I would I'd listen to those stories with great interest. Uh, it was from him that I first learned of the phenomenon called spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation. Now what that means is, at times, if a pilot flies into fog or in the night or in a storm, he or she loses sight of the horizon. And when that happens, they lose their sense of the plane's motion and position in the air. So here's what it looks like. The plane could actually be turning right, but the pilot feels like it's turning left. His senses are telling him that he's going left. So to compensate for that, he continues to turn further in the direction That the plane is already going, thinking he's going to correct the error. But if the pilot doesn't pull out of that, then sadly he could crash the plane. Spatial disorientation as a result of losing his vision or her vision of the horizon. We as followers of Jesus can experience what I'm calling spiritual disorientation. Spiritual disorientation disorientation. This happens when we lose sight of the truth that in Christ, all of our needs are met. In Christ, all of our needs are met. And we wrongly believe, or we feel, that if we add something to Christ, then we can live a satisfied life. Spatial disorientation. So, the lie that we exchange the truth for is, if I only had a, if I only had a new car, then my walk with Jesus would be satisfying. If I only had a better wardrobe, a new kitchen, a bigger house for my family, then I would experience satisfaction in my walk with Christ. Or for me, if I only had more of a good thing, if I only had more time for myself, more me time, then I would be able to thoroughly enjoy my walk with the Lord. But this is spiritual disorientation. The flesh always wants more. And we've experienced that. I've experienced that. When we get that thing that we think we need to be satisfied in Christ, there's always the next Whatever it might be. The flesh is never satisfied. To be clear, this complete satisfaction that we have in the Lord, that He's met all of our needs, I'm solely addressing the addition of things onto Christ. I am not talking about anything related to mental or emotional needs. Those are totally separate issues. I'm talking about us buying into the lie That all of my needs are not met in Christ, therefore I cannot live a satisfying life in Him. So, how do we avoid succumbing to this spiritual disorientation, this lie that I need to add? How do we overcome that and live a satisfying life in Christ? That's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our study in Colossians. We're in Colossians 1, and we're just going to keep trekking on through. Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. And some of the backdrop to this passage is the church at Colossae had flown into a fog called syncretism. Now, syncretism has multiple definitions, but the one I'm using is they are adding cultural elements or other religions onto the teaching of Christ, in order to experience a higher form of spirituality. That's what they craved, a higher form of spirituality that they thought would satisfy them apart from what Christ has already provided. And so by exchanging the truth for a lie, they were suffering this spiritual disorientation. And as Paul is writing to them, he's saying, this is dangerous. You're flying off course and you could crash and burn. So today we're going to be talking about This passage in two parts, Paul's ministry and God's mystery. And as we look through those, we're going to be talking about how we can avoid succumbing to spiritual disorientation and actually living a satisfying life in Christ. So read with me Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So our first point is Paul's ministry. And if you look there in verses 24 and 29, we're going to see the nature of Paul's ministry. In verse 24, we see Paul was suffering for your sake. That is for the sake of the Colossian church, the local church. But we also see that he was suffering for the sake of his body that is the church, the church universal. And then in verse 29, we see that his suffering is described as toiling, and struggling. This is a suffering that depicts hard work, uh, a fight, a figurative fight for the faith, so to speak. So why was Paul suffering and toiling and serving the church? Well, one reason is found right here in verse 24. In verse 24, we see this phrase, a very peculiar phrase, in my flesh... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it does not mean that Christ's death in any way is lacking regarding redemption. That would go against the entire theme of this book. The main theme of Colossians is that Christ is supreme over all of creation, and nothing else is needed to supplement what we have in Him. But also, in the context of our passage here, verse 24, that word afflictions, nowhere else in the New Testament, including here, is it used in relationship to redemption. It has nothing to do with redemption. So, what does it mean then? This filling up is Paul continuing or completing what Christ's all sufficient redemption has secured. It's a, comp- a continuation or a completion of what Christ has already brought about through his death on the cross. He was suffering and serving those who Christ died for. But to what purpose? Was he just serving in a general way, or was it more pointed than that? In verses 25 and 28, uh, we see Paul describe the purpose of his ministry. Look at verse 25. We see this phrase, to make the Word of God fully known. To make the Word of God fully known. This means both to make the gospel known throughout the world but also for the church universal to fully and apply the gospel. So, it's a both and. It's an advance through multiplication, but a building up through edification. And then the verb used in verse 25 that we just discussed, to make fully known, this is the idea to complete. It has this completion aspect to it, or filled up. So it's not enough simply to preach for Paul. He wanted the gospel to be completed in the church. He wanted edification, maturity. And this becomes explicitly clear in verse 28. If you look at 28 here, Paul says that his goal is that, or so that, we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, God cares deeply about your maturity. It's not just about getting in the family. It's about growing up in the family as well. He cares deeply about the believer's maturity and this idea of presenting for their maturity in Christ is ongoing progressive sanctification, something all believers are a part of. So before moving on, I briefly want to touch on something. In, in what ways is... Paul's ministry exclusive to him as an apostle, and in what ways is it applicable to the church today? Well, if you look at verse 28, we see Paul, interestingly enough, switch from I to we. He says, him we proclaim. We are warning everyone. We are teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, who is this we? Well, if you turn to the end of the book, you'll see. At the end of chapter 4, you see that Paul is sitting in a prison with other believers. And the idea here is that this we is the church. This is not exclusive to Paul, this ministry that the gospel would be filled up in the world, that we would present others mature in Christ. This is not exclusive to the apostles, but Paul does have aspects of his ministry that are exclusive just to him. And we see that in verse 25, look at verse 25 there, where we see this, this phrase, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now, this word stewardship, it means the responsibility to manage a household. It's an office. And with that office, the office of apostleship, it comes with authority. Now, we as believers see that authority today in our New Testament. The New Testament is the authority of this stewardship given for us, the teaching of Christ, that we might know him and know how to walk according to his ways. So the church does not add to the New Testament. We simply make it known. We work together to complete it in our lives, the life of Bethel as a body, and the universal church as well. So this moves us to our our second point here uh, God's mystery. We've looked at Paul's ministry. We're going to look now at God's mystery. It's a a key facet in our passage this morning. Paul uses this word mystery twice. You'll see it in verse 26, mystery. And then you'll see it in verse 27, uh, the riches of the glory of this mystery. This word mystery in the New Testament means something that was once concealed but is now revealed. At one time in the past, it was concealed, but it's now been revealed for us, the church. So, what was it that was concealed, that has now been revealed? Well, Paul tells us it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so... Let's flesh that out a little bit. What what exactly is the content of this mystery? It's not only the spirit's indwelling of the believer. Because the prophet uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah in chapter 31, Ezekiel in 36 and 37, they made known of God in the future indwelling the believer as one of the blessings of the new covenant that he would bring about. So that's not exactly... The mystery, but what is the mystery that's now been revealed is that Christ, the Messiah, has created a new people of believing Jews and Gentiles in one body, and it's His body, His body that He's bringing to completion, His body that He will bring to glory. And this was a great mystery that Paul had revealed. And for us today, we're perhaps like, Well, 21st century, the diversity, the oneness of the church is not as surprising, but it certainly was for the Jew in that day and for the Gentile who was kept out, but they are now brought in. But what none of us today, 21st century believers, should lose sight of is the marvel that the cosmic Christ described in Colossians Colossians chapter 1, this One who in the fullness God dwelt. The one through whom and for whom all things were made. This one, the second person of the Trinity, is in us. That is marvelous. But to my shame, I I often forget that. I lose sight of that. We all do. We need each other. To point one another's eyes to the marvel of this mystery. I need you to point my eyes to Christ, as it's so easy to get wrapped up for me in just my things, my problems, my busyness, my worries, my goals. But no, the marvel of this mystery, Christ in us. This phrase, in you, in verse 27, because Paul makes it very clear. Uh, that this is, which is Christ in you. This type of language in you, it's relational, but it's the clearest possible way to communicate the closest possible relationship. It's the clearest possible way to communicate the closest possible relationship that we have with Christ. Christ. And in 27 we see that it's the hope of glory, the riches of glory. Now, theologically this speaks about the future glorification of the believer. When Christ returns, we will all receive the fullness of the blessings of the new covenant, which is a body that will no longer suffer with the flesh, the self-centered sinful desires, no longer be sick, no longer have needs that this world no longer have needs that this world tells us we can fill. True things of this world. But it's more than that in this passage. It's more than just a theological nugget about glorification. In the context of Paul's letter, as I mentioned, he's speaking against syncretism, the addition of things to Christ. And so this hope of glory, Paul is showing that it's exclusively located in Christ. It's found nowhere else. It's in Christ, this glory. Now, these false teachers claim that with the addition of secret knowledge, with the addition of their special ways of religion, that the Colossians could somehow obtain a spiritual fullness, a complete maturity, a total soul satisfaction now, or glory, if you will. So what Paul has been doing in this passage, what he's doing right here is he's saying, you want some secret knowledge, Colossians? How about this? Christ is in you. He's in you. And it's Him that will lead you to glory. You want spiritual maturity, Colossians? Is that what you crave? seek to understand and apply the teachings of Christ that I am giving you. That's my stewardship. You want total soul satisfaction or glory now? That's in Christ. But, sorry, that's a future event. That is not now, and it's never offered truthfully outside of Christ. So what's the way forward for us as the universal church, as Bethel Bible? If total soul satisfaction is the hope that we have, but we in Christ have all of our needs met now and can't experience a genuine measure of satisfaction now, what's our way forward? How can we as followers of Christ live a satisfying life in Christ. You suffer, you serve, for the sake of the Savior's body, that it grows. We want satisfaction. It's found outside of Christ, nowhere. It's found exclusively in Christ. If we want to experience that satisfaction in a genuine measure today, we are to suffer and serve the Savior's body for its growth. So, why is this satisfying? Why would this satisfy our soul? Read with me verse 29 again. For This I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. The ultimate reason why this is satisfying is found right here in verse 29. It's because as we suffer and serve the Savior's body, we are co-laboring with Him This is not a picture of gas in the tank, kind of thing, of his power at work in us. This is a relational intimacy that we have with the Savior as we serve his body according to his strength for his purposes. This is an experience that we have with Him that we can have nowhere else but serving and suffering as He continues His ministry that He accomplished on the cross in us and through us. Paul found great satisfaction in this. We see in verse 24, look at verse 24 again, we see the word, rejoice. We also see he closes this passage, this entire passage in in my Bible, it says Paul's ministry to the church from 124 down through 25. He closes this description of his ministry also rejoicing. What was he rejoicing about as he was sitting in a prison cell he was rejoicing at the fruit of his labor with the Savior. You see, it's in Christ that all our needs are met. And as we labor with Christ, we experience His joy. It's not our joy. It's His joy. But we so often believe the lie. Do we not? I believe the lie. More me time. I need to build myself up. But Paul is saying, no. You want to fill up and fill up in your body some suffering for the sake of the Savior's body. Do you sense the spiritual disorientation here? If our eyes are not on the Savior, this makes zero sense. That's why we need God's special revelation. And it just shows us how easily fooled we are by our own feelings and by the world. It's not me, me, me. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. And He is in us. And He's given us an opportunity, a privilege to suffer and serve, not just for him, but with him, as he is in us. So I opened our sermon talking about pilots experiencing spatial disorientation when they lose sight of the horizon by entering a fog or a storm. Their senses tell them up is really down, left is really right, Do you know how they pull themselves out of this spatial disorientation? It's not by trusting their feelings. It's by looking at the instrument panel that's giving them a true reading. And it's only when they follow that instrument panel are they able to pull out of that spatial disorientation. Paul has given us An instrument panel this morning to help us pull out of spiritual disorientation. And it's with the Savior, suffering and serving with Him for the sake of His body. Us, our brothers and sisters that we'll be with for all eternity here at Bethel, but around the world. So there are countless ways. We can apply this. And I encourage you, please, apply this in the ways that the Spirit leads you. Make yourself available to the Savior at the drop of a hat to to share the good news, to serve in a ministry. These are all equally valuable. And God has given each of us different circumstances to step into those in suffering with Him. But the one that I I want to highlight this morning in which we as Bethel could suffer and serve together is right here. Serve through summer. Serve through summer. Now I I have a pin and what we're asking people to do is to sign their name on the surfboard committing that you will serve through summer, that you will suffer with Christ for the sake of Christ's body right here. Now, let me tell you the lie we typically tell ourselves. It's just child care. I'm just watching somebody's kid so they can go to church. It's not child care. This is an opportunity for us to suffer with Christ. It's not child care. It's Christ's body care. It's Christ care. And you can enter into the lives of these little ones. And you can, by God's Spirit, lead some to faith in the Savior. And those that have trusted in Christ, you can be used by the Spirit, suffering with Christ for their edification. You see, it's all equal in God's eyes. It's an opportunity that I, I encourage you to prayerfully consider. And if you do come up to sign, please sign your name legibly so that we can read it. I really do want to contact you. We do want to build up this team. So in closing, can we avoid suffering in this life? Has man ever found a solution to our suffering problem? No. No. There is no escape from suffering. This is a sin soaked world. All of creation is cursed, and it's only when glory comes will we be relieved from suffering. So if we can't escape suffering, then let us suffer in a way that leads to satisfaction. It's there, it's there. And so, try, try this out. Try this instrument panel out. Follow it by signing the surfboard. And see if what Paul is teaching us, what I am showing us this morning is true, a true reading on how to suffer in a manner that will satisfy our soul as we walk with Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we do. We love you because Christ is in us, and we are in Him. And by your Spirit, we've been given new affections, affections that love you, that love others. But Father, because of the flesh, we so often believe the lie that we need to add to Christ in order to be satisfied in Him. I pray that Bethel Bible would be a church that suffers with the Savior for the sake of serving His body, that it might grow. We can't do this apart from your Spirit, and we thank you that we do have the Spirit always, I pray that we would walk in step with Him, that we would be bold and try out Your Word to see if this kind of suffering does lead to satisfaction, and I trust it will. Thank You for this opportunity to worship, to hear from You this morning. We pray Your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.